Father, we come before your throne to hear from you. Lord, as we rejoice at this text, uh, Father, you revealing that you, you desire to dwell with your people. I don't understand that. Father, I don't know that even if I am in your presence for a million years, that I will understand that. And yet, Father, we who are called by your name have a longing for that. To dwell with you. Father, help us to see. In Christ's name, amen. We're looking at what God is getting ready to describe and is in the process of describing as his tabernacle. You will see in verses or in chapter 25 through chapter 31, God describing the tabernacle. Now, this is fascinating to me because he gives some detail here. Uh, and I will bring your attention to that detail. All right. Um, but you will see that it is not until 35 verses, 35, 1 through 40 that they actually build the tabernacle. And in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 25, God spoke to Moses and he says, Tell the sons of Israel to raise a contribution for me. For every man who has heard, whose heart is moved, you shall raise a contribution. As your heart leads you, I, I, I want to build a tabernacle. And I'm going to deal with the word tabernacle in a few. But I want you to look at this because he says, as you're led, as your heart is moved, as you have beheld what I do, as you have beheld my mercy and my glory, the fact that I've brought you out of slavery and all the amazing things that I have wrought among you, as your heart is led, give. Give. It's a fascinating statement. Um, I remember a friend of mine years ago, uh, Dr. Stephen Olford. He is in glory right now. And uh, he asked me a question one time. He's, he's funny. He, he, I, I don't want to go into all the detail. But he asked me one time, he said, do you believe in the tithe? And I said, well, well, I kind of believe that, you know, the, the offering has been giving and, and we give as God leads. And he says, do you believe that God is changing? And I said, well, No. He says, don't you find it fascinating that in the Old Testament, God called for a tithe? And if he's unchanging, then you should. And then he smiled at me real big. He says, my heart tells me, this is Dr. Oldward. He says, my heart tells me that if I do not give at least a tithe, then I am stealing from God. He says, that gives a whole new meaning to surveillance cameras, doesn't it? <laughs> and I was like, whoa, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it's not like you have to put the camera on the America's Most Wanted <laughs> to find out who this dude was. But he says that the minimum that a Christian should ever give is a tithe. And beyond that, he should be given as his heart here does for the work of 
what God does. And I thought that was fascinating. And I showed you last week in chapter 35, verses 21 through 29, in chapter 36 through chapter, chapter 36, verses 3 through 7, that they gave. They gave so much that Moses had to send out a decree to stop. I bet you dollars to donuts. There's never been a church that's had that problem. Anybody want to gamble on that one? You got to quit giving. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that's got all kinds of implications in there. Either the people in the lead are greedy or whatever. <coughs> but anyway, I wanted to share that with you. And that's what rolls into this text as he begins to describe, God begins to describe my tabernacle. Verse 3, this is the contributions which you are to raise from them, gold, silver, and bronze. All right, he's being specific. I want you to give these things. All right, I I, I need these things. All right, but then look what he says in verse 4. I need blue, purple, and scarlet material, fine linen, goat hair. Stop right there. This is fascinating because I had to do some research on this. Blue? It's blue. Now think about where they're at. They're at the foot of Sinai. Where do you go get blue? I was just curious. I mean, that, I mean, that's how way my crooked old head thinks is I'm in the middle of the desert and God wants blue. <laughs> Great. <laughs> you know. Wait, I'll give gold. <laughs> okay, why? Gold would be easier. God wants blue. You know where blue comes from? I can tell you where they got it. Shellfish. They would grind up shellfish and boil it and then dip their linen into it and pull it out. And guess what? It's blue. But they would take... It would be thread or yarn... And it would be whatever color would come off of the animal. They would take these ground shellfish and they would dip this yarn into it and it would come out blue. Now remember what I shared with you in chapter 36. They had given so much that Moses had to put out a decree that said, stop. So you know what that means? When God says, I want a contribution, you had a whole bunch of people start beating the stuffings out of a bunch of shellfish. Wow. That's cool. Look at the next one. Purple. Purple. Don't even ask. I'm out in the desert. (laughs) I mean, okay, where'd you get the shellfish? Well, you know, when we were crossing the Red Sea, they were just all over the place. (laughs) I just picked them up, put them in my bag. (laughs) Okay, you know, so we had all these, you know, I just go go to Johnny's bedroom and he's got like buckets of shellfish. So it's no big deal. Where do you get purple from? I can tell you. It comes from the secretion of the Marix snail. Have you ever seen a snail? Okay. When they're sliding along, I mean, they don't 
You know, they're kind of cruising. Okay, have you ever looked behind them? They leave a wake. <laughs> That's kind of a nice way. It's like a big booger. Okay, science calls it a secretion. If you take the secretion, the big booger of the Marex snail, and you boil it, and you put your yarn into it, do you know what happens to it? It turns purple. Fascinating. Don't you think that's fascinating? That's pretty good for a bunch of people that we classify as uncivilized, but I'm not going to go out and start scraping up snail boogers. But when you would collect this from the snails, okay, you'd collect this and you would keep it in its container and when you needed it, you would take it out, you would boil it and then you would dye purple. Okay, now you think about that for a second and you think, okay, what do you do when you don't have satellite TV? You go out and get snail boogers so you can dye your linen. You know, my question is, who was the first one to do this? You're doing what? I think it'll make a different color. Okay. I can tell you where the information came from. Sons of Noah. Where did they get it? From their parents, their grandparents and great-grandparents. It's been passed on. You see crimson there is the next one. Um, red, I believe, is a, scarlet is the New American Standard Translation. Scarlet, <clears throat> um, what you would do is you would take eggs and f- dry them that they would become a powder and then you would add certain worms to that powder, grind it together and the worms that would do this and cause the scarlet were those that would attach themselves to the holly plant. Okay, you know what holly is? That's an evergreen. So you would take those worms that would attach themselves to the holly plant powdered eggs, mix them together in a broth, in a, in, a, in a liquid, and boil it, and it would come out crimson. And then I want to show, show you something here, because it says here, that fine linen, fine linen. Um, one of the things that you'll even find today is the best cotton in the world is what? Egyptian cotton. So they had that to work off of. They had the ability to color the cotton by what God had given them through shellfish, snails, powdered eggs, and worms of the holly plant. And God says, I want those to be contributions to me. And the goat hair, you know, everybody knows what goat hair is. That's goat hair. Okay, why? Goat hair is really strong and amazingly strong. And I want you to weave that. That's amazing stuff. Why did I go through that? 
I read that and I see a substantial degree of technical sophistication here. This ain't random here. God says, I know how this works. And this is a group of people who are working with textiles and fabrics. This is amazing. Um, I, my, uh, my wife quilts. Um, my grandma used to quilt, but my grandma did it different than my wife did it. She did it by hand. Uh, my grandma never owned a sewing machine. My grandma used to make clothes, very nice fitting clothes, and they were all sewn by hand. Okay, she had a, 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 you know, my wife says, can you make me a quilting machine? And she starts describing it, and I have no idea what my wife's describing, because my grandma had this quilting thing that was two two-by-fours, four two-by-fours that were here. They had a dowel through this side, a dowel through that side, and you just started rolling this sucker. It's like, have you ever seen two scrolls? Okay, and you just rolled it and you sewed it and ding, 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 all the way across the thing. And I'm, now listen, this thing was big enough for a queen size bed. And she just sewed and sewed and sewed and sewed and sewed. And I think that's why she had hearing aids because she just tuned us out and, ding, 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 and and get after it. And you know, my wife says, can you make me a quilting frame? And I keep thinking, yeah, I can make a quilting frame. Take me about half an hour, 45 minutes. Then she goes into this dissertation on explaining it to me. And I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I was thinking about two dowels. Four two by fours, I'm in. That shouldn't take me, and I can probably catch a football game. <laughs> you know, I second half if you want me, I can stain it or something, make it pretty. And then that's not what my wife wants. And she, I, oh, 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 no. Okay, but let me ask you a question: How many of you have taken the hair off an animal and wound it? So it became a thread. So you could take the thread and weave it. So it became a fabric and then take the fabric and then dye it to the colors. I know you're not going out and looking for worms off of no holly plant and fix it. I haven't. You know what you don't see in this text? He ain't asking for lycra. Egyptian cotton. And the finest colors of the fabric that you can get me. Chapter 25 verse 5 says, Rams skins dyed red porpoise skins. I bet those are plentiful. And acacia wood. Ram skins. All the wool would be removed from it. They'd be dyed and it would resemble Moroccan leather. Which at this time was on the level of Corinthian leather. Corinthian leather is the best you can get. I, I actually have a Corinthian leather, it's veal leather Bible. Um, that is, uh, was a gift to me that is very, very precious to me. Um, and I'm going to sell it and put my kid through college. But anyway, <laughs> no. Acacia wood. Acacia wood is a closed grain hardwood. Um, uh, it had a, a, an aroma to it. Um, and what was amazing about acacia wood is that the wood-eating insects avoided it. 
They stayed away from it. So you didn't get the the marks in it. And by that acacia wood that would be given, uh, this is what cabinets and um, boxes and uh, very precious chests would be made out of. The finest acacia wood cabinet making stuff uh, and it's found all over the place in, in the Sinai Peninsula so God asked for this stuff verse 6 says oil for lighting spices for, for the anointing of the oil you could put the oil for lighting burning oil pure olive oil and you will put spices in it so you have your kitchen smell like grandma's and for fragrant incense. And we're going to learn what that incense was in a few months. Verse 7 says, onyx stones. Um, some people will call this a quartz. Um, some of your translations will call it beryl. And setting of stones for the ephod. And for the breastplate, which would be the breastplate of the high priest. Now you've got to understand something here. Israel's never existed as a nation. Israel has never had a line of priests. Israel has never had a sacrificial system. Israel has never existed in this, what you understand it with the priest and the ephod and, and the, the breastplate and the certain garments and the, and the laver and the incense. And it's never been done. It's never happened. They basically were promised land. Um, they had a mess and they ended up in Egypt uh, because of a great famine. And they spent 400 years. And in that 400 years, the last part of it, they were slaves. The whole time thinking, didn't, didn't God promise? I'm thinking this seems odd. Maybe our ancestors are loopy, perhaps a little. Let them construct a sanctuary for me. Then look what he says. That I may dwell among them. I may dwell. This is the key to it. The word there, sanctuary, is translated tabernacle. Okay, tabernacle is a noun derived from the verb to dwell. What? <laughs> okay. The word tabernacle that you see there, right? You see it? No. Constructs a sanctuary is the word tabernacle. Okay. That is a noun that comes from the verb to dwell. And you know what it's saying right there? There's implications. Oh, brother. Have you ever heard the word Emmanuel? What is that? According to all that I am, I am going to show you a pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of its all of its furniture so that you shall construct it. You will see the tabernacle, this dwelling of God called sanctuary. Sanctuary is reference to 
holy place. You will see it described at times as a tent, meaning that here on this earth it is temporary. Tabernacle to dwell. Have you ever read Ephesians 3.17? I pray that the Holy Spirit of God will strengthen you in the inner man. For what reason, Paul? That Christ may dwell comfortably in you. It will be called the tabernacle of the congregation. It will be called the tabernacle of the testimony. It all refers to the same thing. It is a temporary place that is a holy place where God can be among his people, that the congregation can be with God, and that the testimony of God will be proclaimed. That's why when you look at the church, when we think about the church building, we call it the, where you're at right now, what do you call it? Sanctuary. And that's not, it ain't. I love you. It's not. This is the room. Okay? I am the sanctuary. I am a temporary vessel for God's holiness. You ever thought about that? Do you see how this is all working? This is a few years before the cross. Did you know that? Okay. Just in case. Where is the testimony of God stored? We are earthen vessels with precious treasure inside. Where is the congregation at? Where God is. Where does God dwell? Where his saints are. This thing that I am in, it groans, it hurts. My hands right now are really killing me. But it really hurts. Why? It's temporary. But you know what's really cool about it? It's a holy place. Now watch what he does, beginning in verse 10. They shall construct an ark. Okay. Um, ark literally is a container. Okay. Remember Noah had a ark. Uh, some of us call it a boat, but it was a big box. His was out of gopher wood. The, you shall construct what? An ark. And it will be out of what? Cabinet wood. <laughs> Out of acacia wood. Two and a half cubits long, one and a half cubits wide, and one and a half cubits high. Well, what the heck is that? It's not as big as you think it is. Okay? Cubit. For Hebrew, you know what it is? Your forearm. Length of your forearm. So if you see one cubit, it is one forearm. 18 inches. Okay? So it's not a big box. You shall overlay it with what? Pure gold. What does that mean? 
You're going to take gold. You're going to take your earrings and your necklaces and your teeth. Oh, no, they didn't do that. That would be what we would do. <laughs> Sorry. You're going to take your earrings and your necklaces and your rings and, and your in-laws, your mother-in-law's earrings and necklaces. We'll start with hers first. And what am I going to do? I'm going to melt them. It doesn't take a lot to melt gold. And then it's going to have a dross that comes off of it. I'm going to take a stick. I'm going to slide that off of it. And I'm going to wait till it is a orange. Then I'm going to pour it out into a bullion. And I'm going to take the bullion, a little block of bullion. I'm going to take a hammer and I'm going to start smacking it. Bang it, 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 bang it. Until it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and thinner and thinner and thinner and thinner until I can overlay the ark. I'm going to overlay the box. That's what he says. Overlay it with pure gold inside and out. You shall overlay it and you shall make gold molding around it. So you're going to put a gold molding around the edges of it. You shall cast four rings for it and you fasten them on its four feet. It's going to have four feet evidently. eh? And two rings shall be on one side and two rings on the other side. That's good. You shall make the poles of acacia wood, overlay them with gold. You shall put the poles into the rings of the sides of the ark to carry the ark in them. And the poles shall remain in the rings of the ark, and they shall not be removed from it. And you shall put in the ark, what? The testimony which I was giving. You know what the testimony is, right? Two stone tablets with the Ten Commandments on it. You're going to place them in the ark, and then when you place them in the ark that is overlaid with gold inside and out with the four rings on it and the two acacia poles that are overlaid in gold, then the ark, instead of being a box, will now become the ark of the testimony. You know what the testimony is? Thus saith the Lord, this is my covenant, he says. You shall put the ark of the testimony in it. Then look what he does next. This is really cool. So you got a box. You got two stone tablets that are sitting inside of it. You got two, four gold rings. You got four big old poles hanging out of it. And the poles are overlaid with gold too. And they're thinking, boy, somebody's been busy. This is, remember, we're describing this thing. Look what verse 17 says. You shall make a mercy seat. Look what it'll be made of. Pure gold. Two and a half cubits long. One and a half cubits wide. Hmm. And it will be as a lid. Be as a lid. You know what's fascinating about this? Think about this. Man, you get, I just eat this thing up. Between the Shekinah and the law is what? The mercy seat. And and that's where you sprinkle it with blood. So that between the Shekinah and the law, you have mercy. Mercy. Between God and the broken law of God. Do you hear what I just said? What's the two tablets of stone 
in the Ark of the Covenant. Now remember where we're at right now. He hasn't gotten them. He's in, remember, Moses has gone up, he's getting this information. All right? He comes back down, and what happens to the nation of Israel? They've made a golden calf. They decided they're going to worship their way. And what does Moses do with the two tablets? Throws them down. What happens to them? They break. And he puts the broken law into the Ark of the Covenant. And because the law is broken, there must be mercy between the broken law and God. It gets more than woe. Let me tell you. I got another verse here in a little bit. All right, you see how this is working? All right, let's cruise on. You shall make two cherub of gold. Make them of hammered work. Okay, you know what that is, right? Don't take some time. <laughs> so what that is, all right? Because you are going to have to beat the gold into... Have you ever seen a blacksmith? No, I'm not talking about what... I'm talking about a real blacksmith. The guys that used to take and, and literally can take iron ore and take um, onyx and a few other things and graphite and they put it all together and then they wrap it in a bind and they pour it into a, a bucket and they set it into a kiln. It all melts. They pull it out. They pour it out and they beat the stew out of it and it becomes a piece of steel. That's the kind of blacksmiths I'm talking about. This is what we're looking at here. He says, you will make them hammered work at two ends of the mercy seat. So you've got the mercy seat sitting there. And on each side, you're going to have what? Cherub, one piece, gold covered. Two angelic beings. Their wings will form an arch. Where? Over the mercy seat. I'm going to give you some verses. or Just write this verse down. Ezekiel chapter 10, verses 1 through 22. Okay. What are the cherub? They are woven into the veil and they are woven into the tabernacle curtains. They represent, Ezekiel tell, show you this, the majesty and the glory of God. Okay. The Lord is present with his people. And he reveals it by the bearers. Of God's throne. Who is that? That's Ezekiel chapter 10 verses 1 through 22. Who bear God's throne? Cherubs. And the mercy seat represents God's throne, which is a seat of mercy, which is over his broken law, which is covered by two redneck angels. Also, you can look at it, 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4, and Isaiah chapter 37, verse 16. They are, they were, if you go back, remember a few years ago, or a year ago, who was at the entrance of the Garden of Eden? Two cherub. Throne keepers. Throne keepers. The cherubs shall have their wings spread upward, covering the mercy seat in our... Okay, so see what you're saying? With their wings facing one another. So they're going to be like this with their wings facing one another in an upward to this way. 
The faces of the cherub are to be turned where? Toward the mercy seat because the cherub are those who would bear the throne of God and they would be looking at God so that they would know where he wants to go now. You shall put the mercy seat on the top of the ark. In the ark you shall put the testimony which I shall give you. Two stone tablets. There I will meet you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherub, which are upon the ark of the testimony, I will speak to you about all that I will give you in commandment for the sons of Israel. All right. So he's basically what he's trying to say here. Don't mess this up. (laughs) The Lord present with his people. I will dwell with you, but I will not be lowered to your expectations. You shall be raised to my expectations. You shall make a table of acacia wood. Okay. What the heck is this? Another table. Okay. Now, you just looked at the ark, the mercy seat, the two cherub. Okay. You shall make a table of acacia wood, two cubits long, one cubit wide, one and a half cubits high. You shall overlay it with pure gold and make a gold border around it. You shall make for it a rim of hand breadth around it. And you will make a gold border for the rim around it. You will make four gold rings for it, and you will put the rings on the four corners, which are in <coughs> on its four feet, and the rings shall be close to the rim as holders for the poles to carry the table. You know what he's basically saying here? I don't want you touching it. Okay? He goes on. You're going to carry it with poles. Okay? The ring shall be close to the rims of the poles to carry the table, and she will make the poles of acacia wood. Guess what? Overlay them with gold, so that with them you may be carried. You make its dishes and its pans and its jars, its bowls, which are to pour drink offerings. You shall make them for pure gold. All the utensils will be made of pure gold. You shall set the bread of the presence of the table before me at all times. Okay, uh oh, what's that? You shall set the what? The bread of the presence. This is what they call the showbread. Each week, 12 loaves. Each week, 12 loaves. All right? They're laid on the table. There has to be on the north side of the holy place. Okay, now, this isn't the holy of holies where the ark is. This is on the north side of the holy place. Okay? The utensils are all going to be refined gold, pure gold. Okay? And it's called the bread of his presence. Please understand this. This is key that you understand this. It is not to feed Israel's God. Okay, that is very normal for pagan religions to have food places. It's sort of like we put cookies and milk out for who on Christmas Eve? For dad and mom. No. Okay, it acknowledges the 12 tribes, 12 loaves. The 12 tribes are sustained consistently under the watchful eye and care of their Lord, Yahweh. The bread was eaten by in the holy place each Sabbath by the high priest. Leviticus chapter 24, verses 5 through 9. Okay? And if you really want to be honest with it, this is similar to what John chapter 6, verse 32 through 35 says. He says, I am the 
bread of life. I am, read the verse. I am the bread of presence. I am here. When? All the time. For what? Everything. Okay? Okay. That's on the north side of the holy place. On the south side, verse 31, you shall make a lampstand of pure gold. Now watch the detail here, people. The lampstand and its base and its shaft will be made of hammered work. Its cups, its bulbs, its flowers shall be of one piece with it. That's a pretty fancy lampstand. Okay, lamp literally is the word you know. You didn't know you were bilingual, but you said it a number of different times. You, when you say the word Nora, you're saying lampstand. Okay, it's a menorah. Okay, but this is, this is kind of kind of weird because it's got bulbs on it. I don't know what that means. I'm thinking that it's not like electricity. But look what he says next. Verse 32, six branches shall go out from its side, three of the lampstand, one on each side, three branches and the lampstand on the other side. What the? Actually, it will be in the pattern of a flowering almond tree. Okay. Interesting thought. It will give light to the priests who are serving in the holy place, outside of the Holy of Holies. It is on the opposite side. It is on the south side of the tabernacle. You know what that means, right? The buggers face in east and west. Okay? All right? And it will be according to God's instructions. You'll see more instruction in chapter 27, verses 20 and 21, and 30, verses 7 and 8, and reiterated in Leviticus chapter 24, verses 1 through 4. Don't get panicky if I didn't, you didn't write those down. Okay? This is an amazing piece of work here, actually. And the lampstand with four cups shaped like hmm, almond blossoms, its bulbs and its flowers. A bulb shall be under the first pair of the branches coming out of it and a bulb under the second pair of branches coming out of it and a bulb under the third pair of branches coming out of it for the six branches coming out of the lampstand. Why? That's where the reservoir for the oil will be. These bulbs and their branches shall be of one piece. Now shall be as one piece hammered work of pure gold. Then you shall make it lamp seven in number and they will mount in its lamps so as to shed light in the space in front of it, which would be on the opposite side. It's going to shine in front of it, which would be what? The north side, which would be the showbread and the entrance to the Holy of Holies. Its snuffers and trays shall be made of pure gold. Verse 39 is one that fascinates me. Okay. It shall be made of a talent of pure gold with all the utensils. Uh, what? A talent is 75 pounds. That's what they call a chunky light. Actually, that's what you call a big bunch of gold. Verse 40 says, See that you make them after the pattern for them which was shown to you in the mountain. What's the big deal? 
Here read John. I'll let you look them up later. John's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. John's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 12 and 25, 39. It says that I am... The light. Wow, Terry. I think you're really grasping here. Really? I'm going to close with this verse. Okay? One of my favorite in all of Holy Writ. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5. To serve as a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things, just as Moses had warned by God when they were about to erect this tabernacle. For see, he says, that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown to you on the mountain. You know what's amazing about that verse right there? He's preparing Israel to do what? To worship. I want to dwell with you, and when I dwell with you, you will have but one response. You will worship. And this is how you will worship. Do you realize how arrogant we have become? Do you realize how arrogant? Let me ask you a question. What do you figure the odds of us getting 75 pounds of gold so we can make a lamp for Jesus? Well, Terry, that's Israel. Yep. But I go back with how I started this sermon. Has God changed? Nah. Nah. Please don't forget that. Because what we're reading right now is but a shadow of the real. Of the real. That's good stuff. I don't need anybody out looking. The guy up here on Anderson, at the far end of Anderson, has got a whole row of holly bushes on the be the north side of his house. Please don't go up there struggling for worms. I love you guys. I don't need a bunch of worms to make some crimson linen. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that you've never changed. That you love us and you care for us. You reach out to us. Father, what you give us here in this text is but a glimpse of the heavenlies. It is but a glimpse of the that that makes the shadow, that gives us the picture, that gives us the semblance. Father, that stirs me. Help us, Lord. Help us overcome ourselves and draw to the deep things in worship and spirit and truth. Draw to the true light. Draw to your presence. Draw to the bread of life. To your glory and praise. In Christ's name. Amen.